0: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, and we are here to talk about the paranormal with you. And uh, we've got a great addition planned for you tonight because joining us shortly will be Alexandra Holzer. She's coming back on. It's been a while since we've talked to Alex. Yeah. So we're going to be, and it's been a while since we talked to Amityville, too. Yeah. Well, we talked Amityville.
1: Every couple of shows, not for long.
0: Since the show was dedicated to it. But tonight we're going to talk with her about all these. There's a lot of stuff that's been going on lately about Amityville. And there's been a lot of um, news in her world that we want to catch up with her. And of course, we are on the cusp of the anniversary here as well. So uh, it's it's the perfect night to talk about it. And it's the perfect night to talk with all of you. We've been off for the last couple of weeks. We've had some stuff going on. uh, But... I can tell you that I got a chance to go to the Emory Estate again, which... Oh, I want to go. I want to go. Well, this was, a, this was a private rental or else I would have called you, yeah. but it was it was supposed to be that we were going to go to the Oliver House, but with everything that was going on with Christy, Christy yeah. uh, I had to reach out to somebody else to help facilitate that, and it turns out that be, you know Christy couldn't let me know because she's been yeah, laid up, but yeah. they've been working on the Oliver estate. So they're, they're redoing stuff on the first floor so we couldn't get in there. So we went to the Amity, uh, the Amityville, the Emory <laughs> estate as a, uh, as a backup plan. And it was, it was still pretty cool. I mean, uh, it was not as active as it was the last time that I was there, but I think that's because the people that I was with, they were less about investigating and more about having Stephanie do table tipping with them. So every time, yeah. every time we go and we investigate, that's what happens. And then everybody says, "Oh, I feel like we didn't get to investigate at all." I was like, "I know. That's because you sit at the table with Stephanie for four hours, and then I have to tell you you're running out of time to investigate." So, I told them next time I'm going to clock manage so that they don't do that. I'm just going to be like, I'm just going to pretend like it's one of my events, even though it's a private rental. Yeah, no, no I I understand. And I'm going to tell you that uh, you know that it's time to move on to the next thing. No no offense towards Stephanie. You know she's just in the mo- in the mood. In the mood. In the mode <laughs> of, uh, of of bringing forward those messages. So I had to kind of keep an eye on things. And also I left to go get pizza.
1: Well. That you didn't have it already there?
0: No, we got Linwood pizza. So I had to go pick it up. But um, so still, it was cool to get in there again. And of course we will return there uh, for some events coming up in, in 2023. I also had a chance to visit the Conjuring house again. Uh, we were there for a tour on Friday morning last week. And it was Corey Heinzen, the former owner gave the tour. So it was cool to hear some of his experiences there firsthand, but it it's another place where we'll probably get a chance to do some stuff there going forward in the future. But I love the fact that you can go there and take this tour and hear all these stories. And then, you, you know, then you can go back and you can decide if you want to go and investigate, but you get the chance to kind of go through and hear the different stories and they don't step on, the Toes of Andrea Perrin. So they're not in there telling her whole right. story. So you still want to read the book so that you can find out what happened to the Perrin family. It was it was very well done. So that was cool. Also got to have dinner uh, at Tavern
1: on Main ah, that I day. I loved their prime rib. That's what I had. I had the surf and turf. Oh, how did you like the uh, prime rib they do there?
0: Uh, I don't know if I had it before. I don't think I had it there before, but it was very, very good. Uh, I actually ended up having prime rib weekend. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I had that. Okay. I had that on Friday. And then on Saturday, we had our event at the Wayside Inn, which is prime rib on the buffet. So I had a bunch of prime rib that night. And, uh and then on Sunday, when we were getting ready to bring everybody back to the airport, we stopped at Fireside for lunch and I got a prime rib melt sandwich. Ooh. So I was like, that's a lot of prime rib in a couple of days, but it was it was worth it. Spooky snack coast starting early tonight, <laughs> but it was um, it was great hanging out with people and it was great getting back into the wayside. Uh, I have not yet determined a date with them for a spring event, but you can guarantee that we will put it on the books because uh, I find that doing this a couple of times a year has made the group smaller, okay. which not that we don't love having you know a bunch of people come in and be part of it, but. Uh, it's also fun with smaller groups, mainly because there's more prime rib on the buffet for me, but also because it's, you know it's it's a little bit cooler to have more opportunity to get into different places without being overwhelmed with people. And we actually had some pretty interesting things happen at the Wayside on Saturday night. Actually, uh, we were with Anna, who you know she's come yep. to a lot of our events, and uh, and Jody, and a friend of Jody's. And while everybody else was in doing a table tipping session with Stephanie, we were, we went into the room where they have Jerusha Howe's piano. And if you're not familiar with the Wayside and the story of Jerusha Howe, she is was the sister of one of the innkeepers. She was known for her piano playing. She was the person who fell in love with a gentleman from England. He said he was going to come back and be with her, and then he never returned. She stayed by her window waiting for him to return for years before dying. The story goes of a broken heart, but she she actually didn't die of a broken heart. She died of, I think it was tuberculosis. So it was in that room where the piano is kept where I decided to play her favorite song, The Battle of Prague, on my phone. And we had somebody, one of Jody's friends was with us. She had never used dowsing rods before. She had never actually investigated before. So we had her using the dowsing rods in that room. And and Anna happened to capture a shadow that came across the wall. She caught that on video. And then I was playing the music. And the woman who was using the dowsing rods, the dowsing rods started... Keeping time with the music as if they were a metronome And there's parts of the song that speed up and slow down in the Battle of Prague So it it would actually do that with the song And then when it gets to like the really, you know, uh, boisterous part toward the end Crescendo They they started singing, it was like kind of more toward the middle So I wouldn't call it quite quite the crescendo yet But they started like kind of spinning around and, uh, And we realized then at that point it was kind of like dancing rather than just keeping time. So it was a pretty cool interaction. While everybody else was having, you know, personal experiences uh, with the table tipping, we were getting that interaction with what I believe was probably Jerusha. And, uh, and it was, you know, just always great being there and being behind the scenes. Uh, speaking of behind the scenes, on Thursday, I was doing my morning show broadcasting live from Edaville. Oh, ah. And I got to go. So we were in the gift shop. The They have a new gift shop there. Uh, now, when you go to Edaville, you don't have to go into the park to get into the gift shop. You can actually go to the gift shop without buying a park ticket. And I was in there doing the broadcast. And afterwards, Kristen from the station was with me. And we were going to go look around. And we went into the museum building. And I took her up to the attic. And it's much cleaner than it was the last time I was up there. <laughs> They've straightened everything out. They've lined up a lot of the uh, decorations in, in, in uh, uh, thematically. And then, so it's still has a lot of stuff up there but it's it's far less than the last time that we're up there but we discovered another room another storage room that has a whole bunch of old decorations so i'm going to be writing an article for wbsm.com where i put some of those photos in a gallery so you can see kind of behind the scenes there but we went down into the basement and we went there's little flies all over the place here so just try and Snatch, snatch as many of those as you can, and
1: well, once you're able out. to, you were able to leave the studio.
0: Some what happened was some listen a listener brought in an apple pie, oh, and they left it on the counter, and a whole bunch of flies appeared, and I threw the pie away, but I'm still trying to track down all the flies. So we're going to be ghost hunting the spirits of these flies by the end of the night. But uh, yeah, it was cool go, going down to the basement and and getting to show her that and tell her some of the stories of uh, of everything. So. The new operations managers, uh, I've
1: talked to them a little bit about the ghosts. I was going to say, did you let them know what was going on? What about the house? It's still there. Okay.
0: Uh, I don't know what their plans are specifically for it. I think the plans to level it and build a roller coaster are probably on hold for now. Um, Because if if those who haven't been following the story, I know a lot of listeners follow the story from a paranormal side of things because we've talked about it Mm. so much, but from a business side of things, uh, John Deli Priscoli, who owns the the park, he had actually put it up for sale, and he had put it on on the blo- uh, uh, you know, up on the market, um, and then he pulled it down from the market because he found people that wanted to take over the operations of it. So he brought in uh, Brian Fanslow and Hannah Miller, who ran the 75th anniversary celebration last spring. They're actually from the. Maine local, I don't, I'm gonna mess it up, the name of their business, but they actually have a business up in Maine where they repair locomotives. Okay. And so they would do the work on the Yetaville trains, and they were the ones that spearheaded the idea of doing the 75th anniversary celebration. And in conversations, it just came about that they should be the people to, to help lead the park, along with Shervin Holly, who is someone that John knows. They've served together on the board of trustees at the Wayside Inn. So Shervin and Brian are the, kind of the operations partners. And of course, Hannah is a partner of Brian. So it's, it's kind of the three of them working together. But, um, I did share with them some of the stories and some of the experiences in the past. So hopefully when they, cause right now they're still trying to figure out what they're going to do beyond the festival of lights this year. But I did tell them, you know, the possibility is there that we can come back in and do some of these, these ghost events. And I think they're open to the idea. So we'll see where that goes.
1: Hmm. but are they still renting it out for like events and things that no
0: like? I don't think so I think they're just renting it as as i mean I think you can hold like parties there and stuff yeah but um uh, you know they still get the pavilion set up but I think they're they're making a go of it of keeping it running as a park and uh, and we'll find out more about that with them as the season goes on they're gonna be checking in with me during my morning show and uh, and I will give updates here as well but if you want to get out there and check out the park, uh, you can go to eataville.com and you can get your tickets there. They have changed the pricing structure, so instead of having to just pay, I think it was like a forty-two dollar flat ticket, uh, no matter what. Now they have different tiers. So if you just want to go in and walk around and experience the park and see all the lights for Christmas, you can do that now for just twelve bucks. And then it's a little bit more added on for the train ride, a little bit more if you want to be able to ride some of the other rides there. But it was um, it was a lot of fun walking around. But you know, as they're getting everything ready. And I also got to interview uh, a man named Savory Moore, who is, he lives about a mile from the park, and he's been going there every year since, I think he said 1953 or 56, I forget which year, but he's gone there every year since, and he is a Anitaville historian. Hmm. So, I said, well, the next time we come here for a ghost hunt, you're coming as my guest because we're going to pick your brain about a lot of, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to, when we do that train ride where I try and give everybody the history, I'm just going to hand that over to you because you know it better than me. <laughs> but it was funny because we're, you know, we're on the radio having this discussion and just totally geeking out over Edaville. And I'm like, is anybody else listening to this or have we like lost the audience because we're so deep into it? But it was, it was a lot of fun. So, he will, he will definitely have to come and be part of the The ghost event if we get to go back there and do one.
1: Well, I remember a lot of people having a whole bunch of fun at the event there. The couple of times that we did do it. And I was talking with Andy the other day when we were hanging out doing thing in um, Wareham on the night before Halloween about e Develop. And what was interesting is we were talking about the UFO event that happened there. Where, where I was on one side of that watery area, and he was on the other side by Dan- Dino Land, and we saw that light in, the, in. Basically, it's over a. What would you call it? Some sort of, like irrigation. It's the pond. It's the
0: bog pond. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, irrigation pond, and we both saw the light over the water and over the pond, and then it took off straight up. And all of the other people that were with us, they were like that wasn't a ghost. And we're like, no, that wasn't.
0: Hmm. It doesn't, we don't, I mean, we call it a ghost hunt, but it doesn't just have to be ghosts. No. Well, uh, the, I mean, I mean, a Bigfoot walked by everybody. They're not going to be like, ah, oh, go away. This is a ghost hunt.
1: Well, um, as you know, I, I filmed with channel five, uh, for Chronicle earlier in the week. And that's one of the stories that we were talking about. Just, we, we, um, Dave McCullough and I had, uh, did one of the events down in Lakeville, uh, Betty's neck, where there have been plenty of uh, Bigfoot sightings around there, so we took local Squatucketts group and a whole bunch of other people, kind of like what we do with ghost hunting, and we went out to the um, the field at the pond, and we're all sitting there, you know, listening and making noises and stuff, you know, whoops and whatever, looking for responses, and all of a sudden we're all looking up, and there's this big bright white object coming in over the sky and all of a sudden it starts taking all kinds of zigzag courses, you know, up, down, left, right, round, you know, sharp angled corners. It's like, okay, we're out here for Bigfoot and all of us are watching a UFO. I mean, that's, that's, it's all, it's all,
0: uh, it's all worth it. Yeah. It's, it's all worth uh, being out there and observing.
1: Yeah. When you go out to observe the paranormal, you may not necessarily find the one you're looking for.
0: W- one of the, um, one of the discussions that I had with people as I was going out, doing all the, the lectures that I did, is they would all, all uh, bleh, bleh, mm-hmm. often ask, because I was talking about the ghost of the Bridgewater Triangle, they would talk about like, well, what other types of phenomena are, you know, happen in the area? And I said, really, everything happens in the area. Yeah. And and really, everything kind of happens everywhere. It might not have the same uh, concentration of, of effect that it happens in True. other places, but You know, you don't have to go to a UFO hotspot just to have a UFO experience. It can happen wherever you are. Yeah. You know, you can have a ghost experience wherever you are. So I think you know, and getting out there and talking. Bigfoot's a little
1: bit more limited.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's not going to be walking down the streets of Manhattan. No. But I think that uh, getting out there and and spreading the word and, and sharing this, hopefully, we get some more stories from people. That were, you know, that have these types of experiences. By the way, if you want to see one of my presentations, the uh, Avon Community Television, A-V-O-N, Avon Community Television posted one of them. Probably my best crowd of the season. So, um, you know you're doing a pretty good job when the librarian is sitting back there in the back row pulling her shirt up over her face because she doesn't want to see anymore. (laughs) So, (laughs) and they brought candy.
1: it was it was a fish
0: it was uh, they had a you know little little like halloween fun sizes and stuff but still um it's 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 always great when they when they uh bring snacks freetown had donuts and and hot cider and i should start working this into my contract like i need i need to have snacks what is this doing going uh, hold on sure stupid computer Firing things off randomly. Sorry if you're listening on the stream. The the computer has a mind of its own.
1: It, we're going in what you know, seventeen, eighteen years, and we still have this problem.
0: No, I think this is more just because these. I've talked to the um, production director about this. These things aren't in the playlist. Okay. When I start the show, and they just appear in the playlist during the course of the show. So it's it's some sort of command that we have to figure out. So just I have to mark down ten ten twenty seven. If I mar- so it
1: auto-generated. Yeah, I have to write that down so you can see what, what happened
0: there, and okay. we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking Amityville tonight. Uh, of course, uh, we've talked many times over the years with Alexandra Holzer, but we haven't talked to her in quite a while. We haven't even talked to her since before the Holzer file started. Uh, so we'll we'll be very excited to catch up with her tonight. Last night on Midnight Society, I talked. To, I had a, a guest named Kendall Phillips, who's a Syracuse University professor, and the, the show was about... Colchak
1: ooh we we did a I, I heard that they were gonna try and re revive it. it well I was gonna ask you that so it keeps popping up they they
0: the 2005 one was a disaster
1: that, that, that I don't I don't want to count that but
0: there there's there's always been talk about bringing it back there was a few years ago talk about Johnny Depp being in a Colchak movie but that ended up not getting mm-hmm. produced uh, but there's I,
1: I would love to see the series come back.
0: There was a couple of uh, names that were bandied about for that. One was Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad. Okay. Uh, But then somebody brought up one last night, Bob Odenkirk from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I think he could be a good one, too. Hmm. So it's something we can ponder and we can uh, can think about a little bit later on because our guest is joining us on the line right now. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast, Alexandra Holzer. How are you?
2: Good. How are you?
0: It's been a while. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I know it feels like decades at this point
0: <laughs> we it's funny we were talking i was I was just mentioning to to M- Matt Moniz here my co-host that uh, on the Friday night show that I do on the internet, I was interviewing somebody about Kolchak and I brought up your father and and the similarities yeah. between he and darren mcgavin and and uh the the this person who had written a book about Kolchak wasn't aware of your dad. I said, oh no, you have to go and look into this a little bit more. <laughs>
2: That's
0: funny. Once you see him, you'll say, oh, yeah, I see the resemblance now.
2: Actually, I can do one better for you. Um, So we obviously watched uh, Better Call Saul. Like, who hasn't? And if they haven't, they need to. Um, And if you look at actor Bob Odenkirk, just look at his eyes and his forehead and his expression. And then go look at some old photos that I've posted online over the years. It's my father. Wow. I mean... he's obviously much shorter, but we're talking acting. So if somebody were to play my father, we were like, that's my father. It's Bob Odenkirk. It was just insanity. So you have to go and and look, and you'll see. It's crazy. You
0: know, and, and I know you probably can't tell us anything if this is the case you know you can tell me you no know, comment if you want but I yeah. wondered why somebody hasn't thought of creating a, a Holzerverse like they did with the Conjuring universe because why hasn't somebody picked up his case files I, obviously you know the TV show was, was successful for a couple of seasons and why don't they look at that as a possible cinematic universe
2: no i mean i've i've been trying literally for so many different things in the whole reverse is what i call it because it's both my father and i um it's hard to separate us but we are different obviously um is it's not so much that we haven't had interest we've had lots of interest over the years the problem is i don't know it's either the executives in charge they don't understand um you know we've had a couple of uh, meetings uh about a year year and a half ago um where we were starting to pick up steam with some pretty big places but you know you're looking at his books and their cases and i'm like yeah but that's kind of what the conjuring was and then my father came way before the warrens so he he's got a plethora of work a library to pick from i said that's what creative is for. So I've never understood myself, actually, what is the holdup? Why is it so difficult? I mean, his books are out there. We've done a lot of work to bring back so many from the dead, pun intended, because it's a lot. And so I think we've got about 35 to 40 that we've brought back. We just redid The Amityville Curse. We're doing um, Murder in Amityville again. And there's another fiction book that I'm having redone um, of one of my father's Amityville books. So it's like, I don't know. It's a really good question. I've been working hard and meeting a lot of people and all different levels, and I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just not the right time. Maybe it's going to be next year because there is work coming out next year for him. So I don't know. It's a really good question.
0: Yeah, because, I I mean, I look at the way that the Warrens have kind of... uh, There's some tarnish on their reputation these days with a lot of people who are, you know, the next generation of paranormal investigators. They look at them and they they say it's a controversial angle these days to to put, to invest a lot in the warrants and uh, people can believe whatever they want about you know how much was legitimate about what they did how much of it was just being hyped up for the media but the fact is that people question that a lot with your father i mean you got things that were pretty straightforward from him he told you what he thought and what he thought was what he thought and i know from the conversations that i had with him you know he was he was pretty solid in in his beliefs and i think that you could actually have him as you know for lack of a better term the hero of a movie Without yes. all the same controversy that you have with the Warrens.
2: Oh, absolutely. He's a character. I mean, I've already I've written out. Um, actually, I wrote for uh, for the TV concept of a show, and the characters were a lot of the um, different types of mediums that he worked with. You know, and then obviously, you know, he's on the case. And pick any one. You know, there's there's so many to pick from. And, you know, he's a strong uh, male lead character who's very unorthodox, you know, rogue-style investigator with a fedora hat and raincoat, you know, very classic. And there's nothing out there like that, you know? And he's kind of like the Inspector Clouseau of the paranormal in some ways, you know? And <laughs> I don't, you know, he's, he's just very unique and different. And, you know, when we talk about with the warrants, and I understand, but there is a lot of issues around that and um with my father the only thing he's ever been accused of was just being difficult at times and maybe a little bit brazen but he wanted things done a certain way and he when he was working with the psychics and mediums you know they were training and i think maybe he might have pissed off some of them you know i'm not surprised you know he was certain way but he really was focused on the work. It was so important for him to, to do the cards, do the ESP training, have them sit in his office, you know, conduct all sorts of kinds of experiments to see if they really had an ability that they could then expand and then maybe join him on a case. And because he worked with so many different types of people for that very reason, everybody had something to offer and not just sticking with one person. It wasn't like what we see over the the past decade of teams and things like that. My father had teams everywhere, if we want to put it in that way. He worked with so many different types of people, um, but he was that main focal point of being the academic and questioning everybody doing the interviews and then letting other people do what they do and then collectively get the data of what was going on. Now, what was different with him was he was also creative and I think a lot of people had a hard time disseminating. Well, how can that be? That's not a paranormal investigator. It's like, well, actually, originally, that's how it was. They had roundtable meetings. They had conversations, you know, intellectual conversations. They um, did real photography where the, there was the photo lab. Everything was dissected. Um, there was no Internet. There was no apps. There was nothing. And the camera that he used was a lot of 35 millimeter. And then there was the Polaroid. That's instant photography, wasn't manipulated, nothing was touched. So when we look at him, and then we look at what's been changing over the past decade plus, it's hard for this generation coming up to even fathom what somebody like him was really like and why.
0: Yeah, and I think that part of it is, you know, you have to look at the... The available technology of the times and the available beliefs exactly. of the times that if if you take Hans Holzer and you move him into 2022 paranormal investigation, you know, he would adapt his style, I'm sure, and he would have different <laughs> methodologies. He'd still have his core beliefs and the way that he wanted to approach it, but he uh, he would be incorporating things that people look at as, quote unquote, more scientific now, as opposed to at the time, what did you have available to you? You had things that were more metaphysical.
2: Exactly. And also, you know, the tools that he used, many of which we use, are still very valid. And and I really, honestly, as as far as a couple of new pieces here and there, the infrared cameras are are phenomenal. You know, what the military uses, obviously, things of that nature, which is very expensive. So unless you have money, which some people have, they buy this equipment, that's fine. But he would have incorporated some things, but he would have stuck to what works. And if it's not broken, do you know what I mean? So I think everybody's so excited to jump on the bandwagon of the newest thing. And there are divisions of this. You've got the people that want all the new tech. You've got the people that want some of it and then maybe some older tech. But you don't really see too much of that. And then... You know you're dealing with mediumship well some people don't want to work with a medium some people do some people um, are all intuitive together you know it, it's a variety out there and I think the way he was doing it was covering all the bases and that means having some of the equipment having different types of forms of mediumship and then having uh, the photographer having you know and he was a filmmaker himself so he did a lot of that too and then understanding the research and the history and meeting people so it's, it's a culmination of a huge group effort and then when you moved around the country from the united states over to to europe you know you're dealing with the different cultures and variations and belief systems there as you mentioned before the belief system um but the core of it hasn't changed and i think that's what is is i think wavering in the balance especially in this environment today we need to go back that place. We need to ground ourselves because when we're around an environment, we don't know really what's going to happen or what's going on other than what's told to us. And if we don't have a personal experience, then we have to disseminate, well, what is this? Is there proof? How do we prove this? And so on and so forth.
0: It's funny because you have people who would mock and say, well, you know, Hans Holzer worked with a medium, so you have to take everything he said with a grain of salt. But come on over with my investigation where we listen to a broken radio, and that's definitely proof of the paranormal.
2: <laughs> it's, it's frustrating because when, when you're dealing, they're both tools, right? And I mean that in the most polite way. So any form of mediumship, and there's, there's differences. So I know that, you know, when we're dealing with psychics, my father would always say, well, psychics, they predict things you know the joke was the lottery you know and show me one psychic that can predict and and have a winning ticket it doesn't work that way there aren't any people out there that would be able to give such information because they're not allowed now there's different levels of um data that comes through there are some psychics that are better than others because they're just tuned in more and and they are crazy accurate but it's it's not a consistent thing they have to get permission through the veil of getting that data and so that's kind of how it works you know none of us have this grand opening to this information and every single time we're spot on it doesn't work like that um when you're dealing with the mediumship you know there's different forms of that as well personally i get impressions sometimes i do medical mediumship it depends on the person i'm reading you know and so it it just it changes but Then you're dealing with the other tool, which is you're dealing with the radio. Okay. So your spirit box. Now, I said the same thing that you just said uh, several months after he had passed away. Um, I was still in a weird place. Um, My sister and I lost our father, um, you know, and we just kind of were numb. And then I had a team from Florida contact me, and they said, do you want to join in in a session? We're doing this thing called the spirit box. And, of course, I scoffed and I pulled a haunt so I'm like, oh, <laughs> please, you know. And I said, you know, I'm going to just do it. I'm just going to do it. And so I got on the phone, and I have everything on speaker, and I'm listening, and they run the session, and they're just asking if anybody's there. They were in a room, in a house, nothing exciting, nothing new. And then all of a sudden, a female voice came through. Now I have the MP4 of this recording and the transcript and my father was announced and this female came through and said Hans hoser's here and that's how that began so had i not had that moment and that experience i would have just not even believed it because i'm like oh it's a radio but it's it's in real time so you've got the yankees games being announced you know you've got all this stuff coming through and then somebody's able to cut through that and say something that's not pre-recorded because it's live. So it's all energy. They're using whatever is available, whether it's a medium or whether it's a radio.
0: Yeah, and and like you said, you can't really dismiss one over the other, but what you do have, I think, is the common factor in a lot of this is the human element, the human element that has to be there to observe it and interact with it. That's right and and that's exactly it and that's why when i look at the you know the holzer method i say well everybody else is looking at that and saying well where's you know where's the science in that and i'm saying it doesn't it doesn't need it because it's it's a humanistic endeavor
1: well mm-hmm. as a scientist i can say that the human observation is just as valid if not more valid than instrumentation the only thing instrumentation does is just rule out ego and you know <laughs> False interpretation. Instrument just records data. It records what's there. It's us as the humans that will argue what that data recorded, mm-hmm. what that recorded data is. But it, yeah, I, as, I as a scientist, it's the person that's making the observation that makes the point. You know, the instruments are just pieces that add to that person's story.
0: Yeah, it, it seems like uh it seems like Alex that the, you know it'd be a matter of you would have to Put yourself in a very cold and sterile environment to rely solely on scientific equipment, and you would have to have a very cold and sterile experience with it. You wouldn't have the same thing that obviously kept your father and and keeps you going back every time for more, which is, you know, the fact that you are touching something incredible when you're out there having these experiences.
2: Exactly, and that's what it is. And so we all are on a journey. We have to remember this. We have to go back and pull to that main center point, which is what he wrote a lot about, trying to educate people. Explaining that, you know, investigations into the unknown are far deeper than than most can even conceive. And there's many layers to it, like an onion. And each time we're peeling it back, and in some instances, right away, it hits us this is happening something's happening here i'm experiencing this and then there's other moments where we have to keep going back to the same case because nothing's happened yet the there's there's still problems going on whether it's a homeowner or somebody that's curating you know land and they have problems on the property and so on and so forth and nothing's going on but they keep saying it and you have to go through the psychology check of it which is part of parapsychology you have to ask well are they crazy are they looking for attention and and this is before the Internet. This is before anything like that where people were genuinely frightened or, or wanted to know why this was happening in their home. Other people welcomed it but still wanted it to be gone. So, you know, it really depends on the other half of it is, is who's bringing that story to you and understanding the, the psychology of it as well that's involved, which goes back to the human condition. And so um, you really do have to combine both, which is what the Holzer method is to achieve full
0: data in essence and in, in, in a way i think a lot of people utilize that without even realizing it because it's common sense when you're out on an investigation mm-hmm. and you're trying to put together the data that you've collected you're just going to naturally fall into you know the same type of approach that that your father had that harry price had before him that people have had when they've looked into this from a serious uh, as a serious pursuit for a long time and People fight over the minutiae of it and, and the nuance of it when in the end we're all still kind of doing things the same way that they did it during the spiritualist era.
2: Absolutely. And and I think, you know, it again, it's it's so different today versus back then. It there's so much more going on and you've got a lot of the same kind of hooligan behavior and then with the YouTube and everybody's this and that And it's just very dizzying at times. And I think if if anybody's really interested and serious, they have to pick up a book and they have to read. And it's really hard to get people to do that because, you know, everything has got to be microwaved, you know, these days. But it is online. People can read articles and they can decide for themselves what is genuine and what's not and not to believe everything that they see, especially on TV. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. You know, it's edited. And I think... There's a market for people that want to be entertained, and there's a market for people that really are getting frustrated because it's it's not accurate. it's It's kind of just really for entertainment purposes, and they really want to seriously see the experiences of people. They're not not looking for attention and extra likes on social media as a result of an appearance on a show, for example, you know. They really want to see genuine interaction because they themselves might be too afraid to do it, but they would like to see somebody else go through it because they might have um, something going on in their own situation that they can relate to. And then there's just the simple curiosity of it that there are people not interested in, in having the experience, and maybe they've never had one, um, but want to see somebody else go through it. There's, there's The genuineness is missing. The validation is missing. And I think now it's just very clouded. and so it's very
0: confusing. and one of the things that I've noticed is so today, I went out and uh, you know last night, uh, I, I went out and I bought myself something as a as a reward for all my Halloween season hard work, <laughs> going out talking to all these libraries. I brought myself <laughs> bought myself a four k. DVD player and the 4K edition of Poltergeist, my favorite movie of all time, <laughs> and I'm watching the behind the scenes feature, uh, of course, Uh-oh. seeing you, you and your father in it, uh, as well as a number of our other friends there. And but yeah. I was as I was watching that. And I'm thinking about the way that you and he and the others like Patrick Burns are presenting information Mm -hmm. at that time. And then I look and I see the copyright date on it. So I'm like, all right, so this is from 2007 when we had a different approach in the paranormal world overall than what we have now. You know what we have gotten back to? And it kind of dawned on me as I thought about it is more and more people are just out there to be scared. And they're not out there to Mm -hmm. actually do serious work anymore. Uh-huh. They just want to have a, have some sort of scary clip they can put up on on YouTube or TikTok or what have you. Thrill uh-huh. seekers, yeah,
1: basic thrill exactly.
2: seekers. Exactly. And it's, yeah, it, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame because that then what happens is when you have the genuineness of us out there that are writing articles, you know, doing the interviews, um, going out there and showing clips of work we've done, talking to people and answering questions. You know, you wonder, you're not really reaching them because they're really more interested in what's on TV and then they watch the shows. And I understand that that's fine. Like I said, there's a market for it. I don't put anything down for people's successes. I understand that. But don't tell me that that's being genuine and that's how the research is because that would just be a lie. And so, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, how have you found that? Because, you know, obviously you're going to be uh, true to the way that you were brought up and and the way that you were trained by your father and, and you're also going to be able to take into account new ideas, new technologies, new methodologies so when you're out there conducting your own investigations how do you find the balance of both or, or do, you, do you? Do you lean one way more than the other?
2: Yeah I, I do what my father did basically is I take it one situation at a time, you know when you're meeting people who are basically strangers, you know um, going into an environment that you haven't been before, hearing their side of the story, that already kind of sets the premise for what could or couldn't be. And so what I try to do is, is stay away from a, a creative narrative, which you'll find a lot of situations people get very hyped up. Um, they start to say, oh, I, I know something here. Or they, and I understand that. But my whole process is I clean the space. And, you know, we always tell people, look, clear your mind, set forth the positive intention and be open to everything and anything and don't believe anything and everything. And that's how I started.
0: And that's a. I mean, the problem is, is now we go in from a, and it's it's it speaks to a little bit of how we've been able to change. You know, during your father's time, we were still trying to to prove whether or not this this is real to people. Uh, You know, those who were investigating it knew that it was, but you're trying to prove it to the rest of society. Now I think we've gotten to the point where we can almost uh, take that for granted that people do accept it as being possible. Maybe they don't necessarily accept it as you know, quote unquote real, but they accept the possibility of it. So now we can kind of move things a step beyond and we can Mm -hmm. finally start answering some of the questions that we had to start asking, you know, 150 years ago.
2: Well, I, I think the simplest thing is for people to understand is what's the big deal? It's energy. It's all energy. We are energy. And what you and I are are existing in right now is in our vessel, okay? Our flesh is our vessel, but that doesn't make us who we are. Our soul is our persona, and that will go away from the vessel when it dies, and it will continue on. And then from there, it will have another life. And sometimes we come back and we have another incarnate. Sometimes we don't. That goes into the studies of reincarnation. And so you have to understand, we're just kind of cycling like a can of Coca Cola. It's a recycle, you know? And we don't drink that stuff. It's horrible. It's poison. But <laughs> just, you know, it's, the point is, it's not a big deal. And yes, it can be scary at times because there's very nasty energy around. If, if you go into a crime uh, scene, how? And you would run an investigation there and there's a lot of deaths there. Um, the aftermath and, and the possibility of something negative happening would be pretty high because that's what was left there, is the impression. You know, and then there's other energies that are not from our space, if you will. Um, I believe we're in the realm. So there's other species and life forms, but I don't think they're what we call aliens. I think that's Probably a narrative, and I think they're more like you and I. I think they can live much longer and they have the tech and they don't get sick the way that we do. There's a whole other thing going on here, and there's a different energy field. And so, not everything is a haunting. And so, you really don't know if something else is coming through and manipulating the environment. And I know a lot of people, you know, have studied gin. And all sorts of things. So you, you really have to look at this whole thing of investigation. And if you're going to be honest about it, you got to open up to the other subject matters that I just brought up. Because we really don't know in that area. And we don't have the equipment to test for that. I mean, how would you know if there's a gin manipulating the environment and you think it's a nasty ghost? A poltergeist. It's very
0: tricky. Yeah. We're still at the point of, you know, just figuring out that there's something happening, let alone being able to figure out what it is that's happening. Uh, And certainly coming up in the next hour, we're going to be taking a news break in a few moments here. uh, And then when we come back from the other side of the news break, we'll dive deeper into Amityville. And as you mentioned, you know, some of these projects that uh, that your father worked on in the past coming back into light and new things as well. But I also, I want to give you a chance to let people know about your new novella that came out this year.
2: (laughs) Yes, appropriately titled The End is Here. And um, it came out on the summer solstice of June 21st, not on purpose. It just kind of aligned that way. And I actually wrote that book uh, over a decade ago. Um, I reread it, did some editing, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to change much because look at where we are now in this environment. And I said, I wonder if people will catch on to that because it's a very apocalyptic book. Um, It's fantasy, but it's not because a lot of it correlates to a lot of events that we've been going through for the past two years. So that's out on Amazon and Target um, and so forth, and it's a really quick read. It was written for middle schoolers, and, uh, and I find, you know, adults buying it too, but um, I really wanted to do something for the, um, the younger generation.
0: And and when do you find that you know when you're writing non uh, when you're writing fiction work, um, obviously you're taking as you said you are taking into account things that are in, around you and, and working that into your storytelling. But do you find that it is freeing to be able to explore some of these ideas and concepts and bigger picture things that go beyond just you know going out there and, and hunting for ghosts and being able to tie this all into something that tells a larger narrative. I mean, it's got to be a lot. It's got to be freeing to be able to have that. That label of this is a work of fiction to be able to really explore some of those ideas more deeply absolutely
2: absolutely and you know the supernatural which is quite natural um is ingrained in me whether i wanted it or not and so this you know i've had a lot of distractions i had another child and so (laughs) you know i had to stop and i couldn't do this and i couldn't do that but finally got this one out and i've got a lot of books on my desktop waiting to to be you know, revisited for the paranormal and all that and, and some horror in there because it's what I know. And all the characters are there and bizarre situations and circumstances and, you know, like I was saying with aliens, quote unquote, actually beings like us. So, you know, there's a lot more to write and it is very much a relief because it's almost like therapy. <laughs> like I'll put it out there, it's fiction. You know, but I believe a lot of it actually is probably true. Um, so I know it sounds crazy, but there's a lot of people that are kind of joining on that bandwagon that there's a possibility that there's a lot of things that um, were told to us that are not true. <laughs> and so, yes, writing it out and putting it and publishing it that way is um, very therapeutic.
0: <laughs> and it, yeah, and it probably helps you work out some of your own anxiety, some of your own fears, but also it, it allows you to kind of be that voice for people who might be experiencing going through the same types of things. Sure. Do you, do you find, though, that as you are putting together things like this, and I'm sure you've gotten some reaction to it in the time that it's been out, that you've got to worry about some people that, that get a little bit, take it a little bit too seriously. Like, well, the, yeah, the end well, may feel like it's near, but it's not right around the corner.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I had I had some people rightly saying, what do you mean i near? <laughs> I said, well, it, it could be a, you think it's a bad thing, but it's not. It just means the ending of, of one thing that's not good for society and the beginning of something that you can't even fathom is a possibility. And so changing the trajectory of one's thought of doom and gloom, which is what I feel where we are now, the precipice of something that's going to break, um, at the end of it is something that you can't even even imagine because you've you've lived your whole life thinking this is the way of the world, but what if it's not what if it's not
1: right
2: you know what do you think um m k ultra is I mean these are these are realities here so I think it's it's a way to try to to connect with people like that but there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I don't understand why what does that mean you know and I'm like, oh my god, I'm not a therapist so I don't know we get to have that conversation but you know it's um I try to expand people's thinking, think outside the box, you know, start questioning everything. You know, in the paranormal, you should question everything and don't believe everything. Why not do that in the world that you're living in right now? Why not do that in your everyday today living? Start questioning. Does that seem right to you? Make it make sense. And always think of Occam's razor and just go forward with that mantra because that will help the intuition open up more and you'll be more uh, perceptive to your environment, which will help you in your decision making and so forth.
0: Absolutely. Well, we're going to pick this up on the other side of the news, and we're going to talk some Amityville, especially as we're approaching the anniversary. We'll talk about some of these projects being revisited. We'll talk about some other new projects on the horizon, as much as you can tell us. And, uh, and of course, we'll also, if you want to call in, and if you have any thoughts or questions for Alexandra Holzer, all you have to do is give us a call at 508-996-0500. You can also hit us up on App Chat on the WBSM app. If you have downloaded that app, there's an App Chat feature there. It's like texting us right here in the studio. And I will get an alert with that question, and we can either answer it on the air or I can type back to you, depending on you know what it needs. Uh, and of course, you can also talk about the show using the hashtag #SpookyLive on Twitter. Uh, some of you are still on Twitter if Elon hasn't kicked you off yet. I'm still there. I still have the blue check mark. So far, so good. I'm waiting for the eight dollar bill to come in the mail, but that'll do it for this hour. We'll be back with more Spooky South Coast coming up in just a few moments here on WBSM. <laughs> South Coast here, Tim Weisberg, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, and we are talking tonight with our guest Alexandra Holzer, and uh, we are talking about, well, we are going to be talking about now, the Amityville case, because here we are on the precipice here of the anniversary. Uh, we It's November 12th as we are recording this show, and when the show ends at midnight, it'll turn November 13th. It'll be the anniversary of the DeFeo murders, and uh, it's a time, Alex, when it seems it seems like Amityville is really coming back into the public consciousness uh, as of late. We were part of a documentary uh, I was with Stephanie Burke last year on Tubi about Amityville, and there's there was the shock doc that came out last year. I mean, it's, it's back in the public consciousness in a big way.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is, and I know a lot of people have asked why this particular story there's been horrific murders like that you know elsewhere and you know I always go back to the obvious I said well because it was made into a film like anything else you know um you know people wouldn't have really known too much about it except for the, the townspeople and the, the local papers and you know and the times when my father read about it but um it was made into a film and there's a lot of quaint towns where this kind of uh homicide doesn't happen and then when it does it shakes the core because you know population whatever or just things like that don't happen there you know if you try to find those kind of towns nowadays you'd be hard pressed so it's really just because that it was made into a film and the books and the whole thing came out um that's really where that comes from and so there's always different angles to try to delve deep into the story of the murders and and just and and the lexus and all that which i don't know anything about because you know i know what you know right but i am not part of that world um you know apples to oranges so
0: Sure. Well, I mean, let's talk a little bit about you. You mentioned there a bit about how your father got involved in the Amityville case, but kind of walk us through his history with it. And, and because it did become something that was a major focus of his of his career.
2: Unfortunately, yes. And he didn't like that. Um, he was not very happy about it. But um, yeah, you know, we used to get the uh, New York Times delivered on Sundays. And um, he read about the, the story um, like... A lot of other people um, in Manhattan. And um, he was contacted uh, years later, three years later, since the murder had taken place. And I think the first time around, um, he was contacted by a journalist. I can never say her name. Laura uh, I can't D- even. Laura Didio. Yeah, Didio. Um, he's a hoot and so did, uh, i think he? he tried to get my father to to do an interview or something um and he wanted to get paid for it you know and i don't blame him that was his, his uh what he did his income um no different than a medium doing a reading kind of thing it's their time and energy um and so he's a little bit i guess brazen there um but she remembers me as a little girl Uh, Coming to our apartment and I didn't I didn't remember her so so many people came into that apartment I can't even tell you. I mean I if I would have known I would have charged. I would have been a wealthy woman today (laughs) I mean my god, so I I didn't remember her, but um, the long and short of it was uh, He was asked again to go out and see if he would run an investigation to see if, if the house was haunted the whole thing To see if there's any credibility to that story and so he had chosen uh ethel johnson Mayers, um to go with him tiny little woman um looked like she was a thousand years old but she was very sweet and um she was one of the um mediums that worked with my father in development and um so he liked her and he trusted her so i guess he had chosen her to go out on the case with him and she hadn't read about it in the paper that you know she you know was told beforehand As he did with the others, you know, don't read, you know, don't look at this up, whatever. And, of course, back then it was easy because there was no Internet. It wasn't like that, you know. So um, she went with him. And that's when um, she picked up the energies of the um, angry chief. um, And it kind of went into the whole land and the property and that there was issues with the land itself and not the house. And my father always said that the house itself wasn't haunted. Now, when you have a horrific happening in the house, like murder, and more than one especially, well, yeah, now you're going to have that energy floating around. And, yeah, you could have a ghost because, you know, they were killed in their sleep. So that they're going to be confused. All of a sudden now they're not in their body and where are they going? And so it becomes a whole different scenario. But he said the house itself wasn't haunted and that actually um he had explained in his book um the amnival book uh, fossil fiction where uh, the original house um, was actually located on a different parcel and they had moved it to that land that plot and there was problems in um, i think it was in the early 1800s of of farm fires and all sorts of issues on that land so he went there, and of course there was the energy, and we have the Polaroids that he took, which are phenomenal. And Ethel picked up um, on the angry uh, Native American chief, and that um, there was uh, they were buried in that area, and that a little boy, you know, uh, was kicking around the skull that he had found on Earth, as, you know, little kids can do. I guess back then that's what they did. Um But, you know, the point was that that was kind of what she was picking up on, and that it had to do with the anger and the negativity, and then the family moved in, and there was a lot of dysfunction there. Seriously, there was abuse, you know, there's a lot of things um, when you you dig deeper into the family itself. Um, They were not just a happy-go-lucky family, um, you know, that got the house. So.
0: Yeah, and I think you've got like a, a perfect storm there of some some negative vibes being amplified by negative interactions. And it, what it seems like to me, too, is that people want to find a, a root cause for what's going on there when there might not be a root cause. It might just be mm-hmm. a, a simple case where you're never going to figure out the why, but that doesn't take away from the what.
2: Yeah, exactly, you know, and I think that then goes to your original question about, you know, why why is it still such a phenomenon? Here we are, you know, doing another uh, anniversary of it, and now it's coming back out again, and you see all these documentaries done on it again, and stories, and, and you know, revisiting the, the films and, and books, and again, it's, it's just that lore of well, what really did happen and i think one of the closest theories um was that there was somebody else involved there was also more than one gun you know and that there was uh mafia ties and so there's (laughs) drugs so if you look at it that way you understand this is long island like you okay i'm a new Yorker. it's probably not that far-fetched so you know what i'm saying it's kind of like when you start to to see it clearer, and other people have done the research and put out films on that and and it's not a paranormal angle at all, you start to see this is is a crime story. This is a crime story. And the lingering effect of the aftermath becomes a paranormal story.
1: Right. But if
0: you look at the way that the story has changed over the years, I mean, people try to find bits and pieces and, 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 and parts of the narrative that will fit into their preconceived notions of it rather than taking it at face value for what it is
2: of course and that goes without saying with anything that is offered to us for viewing and consumption of information and and that's you're always going to have that no matter what you're going to have people that are saying oh no it's, it's definitely haunted and, and this is why or you know they believe that jody the pig actually existed i mean you can't yeah, there are just some people that, that walk around and don't get it and just don't seem to want to see past the purview of, well, could it be something else, you know? And so you're desensitized because of Hollywood, you know? So, yeah, you're going to have that. And and like you said, you're just never going to satisfy every single person about the case and what really went down because there's so many different angles to it and so many films that have come out on it and shows that basically you really are left to your own devices to, to disseminate what do you think logically happened and you start there
0: now now when your father was writing about this case he wrote both fiction and nonfiction books about it uh, mm-hmm. how did he view in, in the discussions that you had with him how did he view the case and did he As you said, you know, he he didn't really love the fact that he was so forever associated with it, but he must have looked at it as a chance to really get paranormal research into the living rooms of everybody in America.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, on a marketing stance, you know, he saw the opportunities presented to him and as a creative, um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, was able to do it also um, in fiction. Um, several times over, and so, and that's not unusual, you know. As a writer, you write what you know, and so, um, you know, he he did uh, murder in Amneville, which was a bestseller, and um, very true to the casework that he did with Ethel, and then it was option for film, and that became Amneville to the Possession. Now, um, the original title was Amityville The Possession, and I have the original uh, posters to that, um, that I guess they were they handed them out um, for promotional purposes, but they changed the title when the film came out. So I'm not sure why or what happened, but it's nice nostalgia to have that little you know fact, factoid there. Um, you know, And to me, the Amityville to the Possession Film, it should be a cult classic if it's not, because it was so well done for its time with the POV and it wasn't over the top. The makeup was really well done. That actor who I understand never acted again and I think has a family somewhere in the Midwest um, or something like that was phenomenal. He did a great job. Um, so that scared me the most, that film out of out of the whole franchise, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, and, and what I always liked about it, too, was that it it gave you some of the insight into the DeFeo story, even though it wasn't the DeFeos because of, you know, getting the rights to the names and everything. But mm-hmm. the, the fact is you had a representation of, you know, instead of just being part of the Lutz story in the first movie where, oh, by the way, these people were killed horrifically and we're just going to gloss over that and we're going to get right into the haunting. Like, you got some of that story and you got at least a a little little bit of speculation speculation, I should say, as to why it might have been that way. And just as a neat trivia note, uh, Diane Franklin, who played the sister in Amityville 2, went on to play uh, Louise DeFeo in a later movie a few years ago. So how's that for bringing it all together, you know?
2: Yeah and i And I agree with you, it really uh, came as close to the actual case. and um, you know, especially with the priest and everything, blessing the house, um, things like that. And I think you know a lot of people appreciate that. and I think that's also what's missing in a lot of movies, you know, not just today, but for for some time now. Is it stays, it goes away from the book. So we always, we read the books and they turn them into films and then it's completely opposite of the book or the, a big part of the book is missing. And you, you see it in the film and you're just like, well, that doesn't make sense or, you know, wow, they, they didn't even put in this part or that part. So it's really frustrating when books are turned into films film because you're really expecting it to come close to the book, at least 60%, 70%.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately now the, the idea of based on a true story is is just enough to or based on a book is just enough to say, Okay, we we covered our asses in case some of it's similar, but we're gonna go in a completely different direction if we want to. That's,
2: that's right. It's it's really it's, it's creative licensing at its best and it's loosely, loosely, loosely based would be more accurate. Entitle it at the
0: bottom, but that's just my opinion. No, absolutely. And well, one of the the books that your father wrote about it, uh, you know, as we said, you know, Murder in Amityville was kind of turned into Amityville too. But uh, he also had the Amityville Curse, which became a movie as well.
2: It did in 1990. Um, it was a Canadian production for TV, made for TV. And um, you know, I look at the shelf of books of my father, my husband, and I have. Copies and to the children, and trying to keep it all together. And there's so much of it. And there's the the darn amnaville section, right? And I'm just like, oi, 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 you know, enough. And so I um, got an email um, this past summer from a production company called Incendo in Montreal, and they were inquiring about the uh, rights to the book. And, how you know, the, the mumbo-jumbo that goes with, are you the right person to talk to, kind of thing. And we started the conversation. And they wanted to um, revamp the book, but true to its its story. And um, if I had any, you know, information for it, and I said, well, actually, I have a 12-page treatment of my father's um and they found the screenwriter who um his name is dennis heaton and he actually um done a couple of shows one of which it was on netflix called the irregulars and then there was another popular one that he got out there and um so they got him to be the writer and the whole point was to stay as close to the book itself which my father wrote and i think that's beautiful which is why i had signed on with them to revamp the film and it's going to be um i don't have an air date but it's sometime uh next spring hopefully um it's we're filming right now uh we just started production a couple of days ago and um it's for tubi and Tubi's is is you know, i mean they're growing massively and, mm-hmm. and it's a huge huge streaming service and i don't know if people realize that and it's part of the Fox Entertainment, and it's
0: it's nothing to sneeze at. You know, they're, they're a pretty big deal, and um, so this is what, what it's going to be. So. And and Tubi is all in on all things Amityville because they did the documentary that uh, that aired last year, uh, um, Famously Haunted Amityville, and yep. also they've been putting up all the original films up on Tubi as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's building up the brand again. They're they're really pushing it. And so, you know, um, hopefully we can, you know, maybe make another deal for his other fiction book for Amityville called The Secret of Amneville, which I'm in the process of reprinting. Oh, um, and there's another book, um, that they're interested in, which is not in the Amneville scope, but it's it's another fiction book that my father wrote. Yeah, you know, it's a bit cheesy, but there's a market for it and I even like some of those cheesy films. So um, it's it's something that he wanted in his um, physical life of having a lot of his books made into film. And I'm really happy about that for him because we have one out the gate filming right now, um, another possible one to be optioned, and then maybe a third um, once I get it over to them to review because it's being printed. So. You know, it, it just—it's a great
0: start. You know, it feels like it's taking forever, but I'll take it. No, absolutely. And uh, and by the way, as we're talking about the different Amityville movies, uh, John in New Bedford sends in an app chat message. Says he just searched for Amityville: The Possession on his Roku and found that there's also Amityville Christmas Vacation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> of course, there is. Well, I
0: have to—I have to ask you: Have you—have you seen? the most infamous of all the titles have you seen the amityville vibrator
2: okay now I'm done
0: that's a real Good it's a real movie trying to are you kidding me it's a real movie yes it is it really is yeah. there's a movie called the amityville vibrator I guess it was a the the plot line is that it was a sex toy from from the house and it, it has a mind of its own and it's possessed or something I don't know I haven't seen it I've only seen the cover but that's that's enough for me
2: well you know I and I, I think the whole thing with the the amityville case is possession so there's a lot to work with there anything can be possessed and then it goes right back to amityville that's
0: just so sad yeah and and i think part of it is because they have you know all the weird things that have happened with the rights and who can make the movies and who can't it's kind of funny how we can keep getting you know these different movies that are produced that have nothing to do with the original case the original story or anything to do with it but yet you know the conjuring universe can't mention amityville in any of their films they have to kind of allude to it and can't mention yeah. so it's it's kind of odd how it's all worked out legally
2: mm-hmm. makes you wonder
0: but uh, you know from a from a nonfiction perspective it's also been popular you know i mentioned famously haunted i mentioned the shock doc earlier but you're working on something with that'll be on epics that will uh, kind of revisit this case
2: Correct. Now, um, Epics we had found, because um, there's so many apps and so many things to watch and very few good things, so Epics came out with this series called From. I don't know if you've seen it for season one. It's it, phenomenal.
0: From was one of the best shows that I've seen in years.
2: Yes. Absolutely. And I don't, I'm done with zombies. I'm done with all of that. And, and this is something that I think if anybody hasn't seen it, they need to check it out because they're, they're hopefully doing, I think season two is coming back for 2023. Everything is for 2023. There's been a lot of delays on um, this year in production. And so they are on Epics and Epics is rebranding to the company, which is MGM and their streaming service will be MGM plus. And I believe in the spring that'll change over. And so this um, project, I was referred to, um, to uh, you know, talk to them, um, interview, and, and kind of, you know, add to it from my father's perspective. And it kind of changed from there. Um, once I got to meet the production company, uh, we filmed my bit in New York, so that was nice got in a car didn't have to go on a plane and um kind of like when we did the uh for tv right famously it was nice so um and they had this series already at play and and in production for quite some time and i became kind of like an aftermath to it which is what happened also with famously haunted and i brought them one of my father's books and i said well there's a lot of information and footage of my father's work on the case and i have had it for quite some time and you know wanted to do something with it clearly but it's hard for me to get anything done so um it just kind of evolved from there and so now the pardon of it for my father and I has grown exponentially for this four-part series that will be airing next year. I mean, it's still filming right now. They're doing photography now, um, and it's going to be, I think, wrapped up um, by the end of the year or January. And so, I think it's slated to come out sometime in February. But you know how networks will change dates and things like that.
1: Sure, but
2: as far as I know right now, it's it's slated for February. And so we've kind of become a bigger part of this project, and I, I can't wait to see what they do with it because there's a lot there.
0: I mean, just looking back at some of the other work that they've done in the nonfiction realm is they had um, the Fall River series, which focused on uh, some, some supposed cult murders that happened here in our area that really? was uh, just phenomenally done. And there's also... Um, the work that they've been doing with blumhouse for some of the other projects that they've done including their compendium of horror i mean they really do a, a fantastic job and it's just it unfortunately it's it suffers from the fact that people don't know that they could add this channel on that it's only a couple of bucks or that yeah. they can get the streaming service standing alone so i think that mgm plus rebrand will make all the difference
2: i agree and i think that's probably why they're doing it i think a lot of the streaming services including discovery plus out the gate was was having issues Um, You know, it became everybody was having to get their streaming services going. And I was caught in the crosshairs with that with files. and then now I'm in development for another project for my father um, for the same network and we're on hold because they had a merger uh, with AT&T and Time Warner. So here we go again. And so there's a lot of production uh, issues in the past couple of years and um but ethics is is phenomenal and i know people don't want to pay you know especially now it's it's just very difficult um but they're cheaper than a lot of them and they do like you said they have a lot of great shows on there and they're just so well done
0: now they had a great billy the kid series too that nobody saw but that was which is a shame that wow. was pretty well done, but yeah, you you and I can talk sometime off there about from and share some of our theories about that because yep. it, it really it's like everything that people liked about you know shows like Lost and mm-hmm. and you know, which Harold Parano so no you know there's a direct connection there, but all of that stuff that people liked about it, all the mystery, it's it's right there, and you know we get we get to get in on the ground floor. Everybody will find it later. That's they how will. it usually works.
2: Yes, it does.
0: And of course, a great version of "Casey" by the Pixies. So. <laughs>
2: And I think
0: was on there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was
2: the other one. So you
0: know, I mean, and and speaking of uh, from and the Pixies, uh, Black Francis, Frank Black, the the leader of the Pixies, he he went to high school just a stone's throw from where we are here. So it all <laughs> it all comes together. It's yes, it all it, it all wraps up. So in looking at the way that this is, so how are the producers that are looking into this story treating the Amityville case now when they're talking to you about what their vision is for this. Because we went through this with Famously Haunted Amityville where they said, we just want to present all the different ideas and let the mm-hmm. audience kind of make up their mind. And they did a good job of that. But, you mm-hmm. know, that doesn't always work from one production to the next. How are they treating this case? Are they looking at it as the hoax of the uh, of the Lutzes Are they looking at it as the true crime of the DeFeo's? What is it that is kind of the hook and the draw for a lot of these...
2: Yeah, I think they're going to be covering all of that. And I think um, from what I understand, they've got some new interviews that nobody's gotten before. I believe um, there's some very important people and personal people that have gone on camera for the first time. Um, My interview was a little bit more in-depth. I was there for quite some time. So it was very different than the one we did for Tubi. In that sense, like you said, it was kind of just like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then we you know, bring in TikTokers because that's the, the thing that was happening and try to appeal to that generation and that market. This one is going to be very, um, I think, uh, upper scale, very intelligent, very uh, thought-provoking, and very um, detailed and intimate. And then we're adding in... My father's case, finally, so that uh, the viewers can have a better sense of where he was in that, because everything up until now has really been about the Warrens and then the Luptons, but nobody's really covered Hans Holzer and the DeSoto murders and his work on that,
0: which he did far more work on that than the than the Warrens did. Mm.
2: Well, he did, you know, and, um, you know, he, they were just two different animals, if you will, you know, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But he just kind of was always cast off to the side with that because he didn't run after the, the limelight for that. He wrote more books. He um, did what he always did. He went on other cases. He wrote books on that. You know, he did that before Amityville even happened. So um, he always stuck to what he did and i think you know if you're not pushing it like that and and kind of not selling yourself out but you know for lack of a better term he wasn't about that he wasn't interested in that he really just wanted his books to do well and to help people and educate people as well as himself grow and learn because he always said that he he's got more to learn he's got more to find out and um so he was very genuine like that, and it was hard, I think, for him to get any um, respect in that arena, you know, that he was a little bit kooky. But, you know, he had his methods. He he did, you know, visit DeFeo twice in prison and had some sessions with him, all recorded, which we have. And, um, you know, when you hear it, you're just like, oh, my God. You know, I said, Daddy, what were you doing? <laughs> what were you thinking? He's crazy.
0: Well, and that is, so it is a, I'm sure from his perspective, it's a very alluring case to to try and pick apart and to try and, because if you feel that there might be a supernatural cause as to why some of this might happen, I mean, here you are in real time being able to peel back those layers. But at the same time, uh, you have to look at this too as, you know, here I am, I have young children and I have, like, do you want to get too close to what could just be nothing but pure evil?
2: hmm Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, part of him was cautious like that. But then, you know, he was, for another lack of a better word, arrogant in that sense of he wanted to get to the bottom of it. He was with his belief system. And I know that um, when he visited um, Ronnie in prison, he was putting her to that test. And um, they weren't allowed to film, but he was allowed to record. And so we have those recorded sessions. And, you know, I understand, you know, he felt that he was doing what made sense at the time and what he was trying to unearth from this man. Um, I also feel that he was too trusting. And I think that if that was me, I would have had a different approach. Um, I would have been more cynical and I'm um, more doubtful just because I'm more cautious in nature, whereas my father always put everything on the table, and then he'd pick it apart.
0: Yeah, that was, that was going to be my next question, was how much stock did he put in the things that Ronnie DeFeo was telling him? Because, you know, as, he, as you know, he changed the story from one person to the next or whatever, whatever he thought would gain him sympathy from the person he was speaking to.
2: Exactly. And there was always money, you know, he wanted to get paid and I always thought that was just so silly. It's like, where are you going with that? What are you going to do? You're never getting out, you know? Um, Yeah, no, I I don't. uh, There's a lot of it that I don't understand why, you know, but I think he treated it like any other case. He wanted to get to the bottom of it. he, He did believe that people could be taken over by evil. In that sense, he did believe in that. Um, It's it's a cultural thing, too. So he was very well-versed in many cultures. I mean, he spoke Japanese for pizza, you know. He was highly intelligent and very well-schooled. And so I could see where he would try to push, you know, doing trans digression therapy and questioning and all sorts of things towards the possession. I understand it. But on the flip side, I don't agree with it because um, of everything you just said. I mean, we just we just know that because there's been too many people that have come out and said that and have been in his presence and have had different stories told to them. And, you know, when you hear more than one, you start to say, yeah, okay, this guy is not on the level. He's playing with you. He's nuts.
0: And, and the downside of that is, too, is that you you can easily get lumped into that Without yep. even realizing it, you know, just just sharing. Well, this is what Ronnie DeFeo told me, and then if it turns out that he tells somebody else something else, you know, you're kind of lumped in with the lies.
2: That's right, and and this is that's the thing, and I think probably people might think he's not, you know, um, but when this documentary does come out, it's going to put a lot of good light on that and the work that he put into it, you know, and I think like everything else in life, people have a trajectory of what they believe and what they feel is right. And I don't think it should be judged because we we all do that. I just think there has to be a respect and understanding that he had a process and the process was really coming from good intention, even though he's sitting in front of a potential murderer. And we don't even know because, you know, he wasn't here for all that to unravel after the fact, but other people had dug into, um, the uh homicides if you will and i actually worked with a filmmaker um for shattered hopes where i did a psychic experiment and um the uh filmmaker had me and another psychic from long island get on the phone with him and he was asking random questions and um, i came up with a gun in the canal and then he asked the other uh lady uh, if he, you know, if there was a second gun, which is one of the questions, she goes, Yes. And I see that there's water around it. So he actually got a dive team. I have the, um, it was printed in Maxim. I put it up on my Twitter today. It's nine images scanned from the magazine. It's a crazy, crazy interview, but it's in there. And he hired a diving team with the whole thing. He had to get uh, insurance for $1 million to do this. He uh, made good friends with the the lead guys, um, got in really great situations. The police were involved. It was a whole thing. And wouldn't you know it, they found a gun that matched, I think, with the whole thing with the bullets, the ballistics, and it got confiscated by the police. So I'm like, well, okay. But there was a gun at the bottom of the canal, and um, there was other clues and um, how the bodies were and that they were moved. You know, so I don't know. you tell me, but well,
0: I wonder how much and maybe you talked about this with your father before his passing, but how much he thought that the circumstances around the Amityville case could could keep it from being something that would be uh, you know, forever perpetuating that the the haunting per se is over because this chapter of the history of it is over. So is is that now, did he feel like that is now a place that is no longer haunted?
2: Oh, absolutely. Listen, there nothing can, can remain haunted forever. And I think this whole thing, like if if you go to a castle, you know, the atrocities that would have happened and the dungeons and, and the families and poverty and the whole thing, and that time frame, of of those errors was brutal um at times so you think okay i'm going to go it's a castle it's got to be haunted because of the castle at some point the energy is going to dissipate and it moves on you know so it doesn't remain in in a state of continued hauntedness if you will because energy is constantly moving and so yeah he he didn't think that this house was going to be uh constantly haunted and there'd be issues because it would dissipate at some point. And so, you know, if we look at it today, it's a beautiful house. Um, it's, you know, in front of the canal with the other homes. It's Long Island. There's a lot of beautiful places out in Long Island. and what's the big deal, you know, I mean it's it's lovely. The energies there have changed. So that also changes what would have been there before. It has to. It's cyclical. It can't remain the same.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that was my feeling when I, when I went and laid eyes on the house for the first time uh, in the summer of 21. And I'm just looking at it and I'm saying, oh, it's, it's just a house. It's just a house. Out of everything it's- that I had for expectations of it, it's just a, it's a nice house and a nice neighborhood. And it's, it's, it's kind of like you feel bad for it, the people yeah. that live there and, and for the stories that have endured over the years. But all, all that being said, and knowing, the way that your father felt about that case. Let's just say somebody came up to you right now and said, Alexandra Holzer, we want you to come and investigate the Amityville house. How, what would be your response to that to that offer?
2: Well, I would say um, I'm sure it would do a good boost to my career for sure. And the curiosity would be there for me because it's a house and I'd be curious because I know the stories. Um, and my father was there and, and I'd like to step foot where he was, you know, very nostalgic. But then I would just say, you know, I'm not sure if I could do that because I think that needs to stop. I think by perpetuating this constant notion of let's go see, we gotta see, you know, why there's nothing to see, you know, lives were taken tragically, horrifically. And I think that's where it stops. And I think if we were to go and reopen a case there, you know, it would be it would be for what exactly? For uh, you know, eye candy, for a uh, sensation of fulfilling that moment to watch it. I I don't understand that. I don't think we need that anymore in this world. I think we need to move away from that. And so, no, I wouldn't do it.
0: It does seem like the twenty 2020 twenty world, twenty twenty two world rather is uh, it handles things like this a little bit differently. If there was a horrific murder like this now, uh, and then a year later, somebody's reporting having a haunting in that house. And, and two years after that, people are in there investigating, they'd get Mm -hmm. ripped apart by public, Mm -hmm. by the court of public opinion. They would just be torn apart for capitalizing on and exploiting something like this. And, and, uh, and we're probably better off for feeling that way. I mean, granted, I'm glad that the research happened that happened, but I think that, you know, we've, we've kind of learned the lessons of just how, how unfeeling it can be sometimes to turn a recent tragedy into the opportunity for ghost research.
2: Which is the same thing that I feel in some of these places now. I know they need to earn to keep them open. And uh, a lot of them should be historically preserved. And I get that. But sometimes some of them do these tours and it gets so itchy and it, it just becomes, you know, it sends the wrong message. And You can't stop it because it's a machine and the machine's running. Um, and like I said, I don't fault people for, for earning. I just feel like those kinds of events only stir the pot for those that are there now you can't make a spirit move on or lack of a better word a ghost because a ghost means they're stuck a spirit is free to move free spirit um it to me it's kind of cruel you know you're people that go and they try to help and they talk and they think that they have psychic abilities and they work with that and that's great but the energies are so mixed that it's very confusing, I would feel for the ghosts in question as well. And I I find it a bit cruel. Um, My father hated the word hunt, hunting for ghosts. Um, And, you know, when we had the the term, you know, Confessions of a True uh, Ghost Hunter, um, when his first book came out, the publishers wanted to take the term and call it the ghost hunter. And my father would be like, that? What is hunting? I'm not hunting anything. What is this? And I, you know, it's like, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's marketing. Um, but he was really not happy about that. He didn't want to be called a ghost hunter. But, you know, that's what was the branding and, and what put him out there. So, you know, but he, he was offended by that.
0: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, it has to be, you know, as you said, marketable, like th- because it is something that people aren't so ready and willing to accept, especially at that time. So you needed yeah. to have something that made it seem kind of edgy and interesting, because in actuality, if most people looked at the way that it was being done, they would say, oh, that's you know, that's that's uh that seems kind of boring to go out there and, oh. and try to explain it that way.
2: And the thing of it is, the truth of it is, if you've you've ever um, heard of the book um, on spiritism with the pen name Alan Kardec, I suggest you pick it up and read it. They um, had made it into a very well-done film. I don't remember where we had seen it. This was years ago. But the true term is really spiritism. And um, this French um, scientist had his whole life turned upside down. He was an academic because his daughters were experiencing real spirit writing and literally transforming as um, messages were coming through to them to change the perspective of the world and how people understood life and death. And it, it kicked off what people think is being spiritual, but it's not, spiritism is the actual term. And when we're dealing with the paranormal, it's cyclical research. And so it's very academic still, Um, and very science-based, but there is the metaphysical part of it, which is the spiritism part. I I suggest you go pick up that book, because that is a fascinating read, and that's really kind of where all that began, and my father knew that.
0: So. Yeah, I mean, and and certainly I think people are Picking up the mantle of, of what he did. I think that the Holzer File show helped uh, refresh people's memories about the contribution that your father made, but also the contribution that, that you continue to make in the Holzer name. Uh, just in the final few moments that we have here, let everybody know how they can follow along with you and all the stuff that you have coming down the pike. Sure.
2: Um, well, I'm on all the social media, i on Twitter. And Insta and uh, Facebook, and I did start a TikTok account. I don't know why, but it's there. <laughs> and then
0: because be wanted you to. Tubi Tubi loves I, the TikTok.
2: I know, but, you know I know I have to try to. I have to get back on there, but I don't know. It's it's so much. I mean, it's like why, you know? Um, but people can find me. I'm very approachable. I talk to people. I try to answer questions. I've been doing that forever, um, and we're just waiting for some projects to get out of the gate and I'm um, pitching and myself and just keep at it and hopefully another book next year. So.
0: And, and I know, you know, when we talked a while ago, when, when Growing Up Haunted came out, there was talk about turning that into a movie. Has there been any talk yeah. about that at all? No, it's,
2: it's actually, I have it in my contract, which is part of the uh, some books with my father. So it's in there, um, but it's not being explored right now. So I might have to circle back around that as well. But I'm I'm actually more of like an origin story, and that was something I was approached on doing. Do um, so you remember the series of Haunting, they had approached me, but my segment kept growing and growing, and they said she's like her own show, so we can't fit it in. <laughs> so that got axed. Yeah.
0: Uh, I know that Bob Odenkirk has a new show coming out, but, you know, if Casey's free, you know, he, he, you're right, he would definitely be a good...
2: I already. I have a, a business partner who's in Manhattan for Scripted, and I, I texted him that, and I said, Bob Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk,
0: so we'll see. I think it would be great. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been great catching up with you, and let's not wait so long to have you back on the program.
2: Thank you so much, love. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you. Bye, Matt.
0: Happy going out. Thank you. Bye, guys. Yep. And that is Alexandra Holzer. Again, you can follow along with her across social media. That'll about do it for tonight's show. I made Lamone hold on the whole time <laughs> because I knew he was going to derail the conversation, and, and now we're out of time. So uh, there will not be a show next week. Uh, I'm going to be taking the night off, but we'll return after that. And we're going to have some special episodes coming up, um, including a very important discussion that Moniz and I had a few weeks ago On the program about the 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 role of women in the field And and some of the people who are out there who are Let's just use the term predatory. And uh, we'll be having a special roundtable coming up on that for you. And, uh, of course, we'll have some holiday-themed shows. And, of course, the anniversary show is right around the corner. The 17th anniversary show coming up in January. So all of that is coming your way. If you want to follow along with us, SpookySouthCoast.com is our site. You can follow along with all of our socials. You can also check out some of our past episodes on our podcast feed. Uh, Almost 700 episodes so far. They're all there for you. So that will do it for tonight's show for Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. We want you all to have a great week. And as always, as we like to say here, we want you to stay spooktacular.